You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. The title of my message this morning for Mother's Day 2016 is titled, The Bridal Expansion, The Expansive Role of Women in the Kingdom of God. And in order for me to really develop this mystery that I believe the Lord is showing me about women, I mean, first of all, let's all be honest, women are a great mystery, okay? I mean, if I even begin to think I have a woman or my wife figured out, I mean, she baffles me every time, okay? But women are a great mystery, and so if we're going to talk about women in ministry, I believe that there's a concealed mystery in the Bible that has been hidden in many ways from people, especially men and especially the church. I believe that women have been oppressed and suppressed in the church and by men for far too long. It was only in this century that women were given the ability to vote. Women have also often been looked at as second-class citizens, and today, in organized religion in many denominations, women are still subjected to a lesser-than understanding about their role and their purpose in the kingdom. Now, why is that? I think there's a couple reasons. One, I believe that the Bible has been misunderstood when it comes to women, and that there's been some scriptures that Paul specifically said to a specific church at a specific time for a specific reason, and I'm going to address that today, about why Paul would come and have to set some order in the Corinthian church and the church of Ephesus in the day about them not speaking and women need to be, be silent, not speak in the church and sit on the side and all those things. Paul was speaking to a very prevalent, prevalent dominant woman issue in the church of that day. And I've taught on that last year about the, 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 the culture of Diana, which was a goddess. And there was, in, in these communities, people revered women. And women had this dominant, controlling personality. And Paul was having issues in the church. Okay? But I don't believe that that's what God has for us today. And I don't read the Bible that way. And so last year, I loved my Mother's Day message. I mean, I really liked it because I went through all these different women in the Bible and what they did and how great they were and how God used them. Today, I'm really only going to talk about one woman. And it's a woman that is rarely ever spoken about. And it's a woman that has been surrounded by great mystery. And I'm going to piece together a tapestry, a story to help you make a connection of so many things that God has promised to women how dysfunction got into the church, how things got sideways, and how God is raising up women in this day and an hour to accomplish his purpose. Amen? All right. So, it's a mystery. I established that. I want to start out by talking about parables and what a parable means and what a parable is. There's a purpose for parables. Parables reveal hidden mysteries and revelations that God foreknew or ordained from the foundations of the world. So if God speaks in a parable, he's actually trying to reveal a mystery to you in a way that you never knew or understood that was hidden for a very long time. Now, parables were spoken to the multitudes always. Jesus never spoke to groups of people without speaking of a parable. So let's look at that. Matthew chapter 13, verse 34 says, All things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he didn't speak to them. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So there you have the understanding that when Jesus would speak a parable, he's uttering mysteries from the foundation of the world. Okay? But to those of us that are born again and sons and daughters of Jesus Christ and have made him the Lord of our life, Mark 411, God's information hotline, 411, I love that. And there are other 411s that God has shown me, but I, this is my favorite one. Mark 411, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are, the, who are on the outside, all things come in parables. Why? Because parables are are natural stories that reveal spiritual truths. In fact, the word parable in the Greek is the word parabole, and it means a similitude. It's a story that is a similarity or a likeness of another understanding or concept. It's a symbolic or a fictitious story meant to convey a spiritual truth. 
Proverbs can also be parables. So when you read in the book of Proverbs, many in the Proverbs are actually spoken in parable, parabolic form. God speaks to us in dreams through parables. 99% of the dreams that you have in the night are figurative, not literal. Somebody being shot, teeth falling out, losing a job, things like that. God is showing you something that he wants you to understand through a parable. I'll give you a fast example to help you make the connection. When I was going through a very difficult time at my last church, I was really, really frustrated with the position that I was in. And I had a dream where I was fishing for these giant trout under the humble bridge right here going on the causeway. And when I was fishing, I could see translucent snakes on the top of the water, and I said, I'm going to catch these snakes. And I hooked into a big snake, and when I lifted it up, and laid it, I laid it at the altar of church. I went from the humble bridge to the church that I was at, and my line broke. And I said, well, i got to go back and get more of these uh, snakes. And so in order for me to do that, I need stronger line. So I took steel leader line, and I put it into my reel, and I started reeling it because I didn't think steel leader line would break. And as I reeled and reeled and reeled, the line broke. And then I looked, and it's because I had a little child Zebco reel. Well, you can't put steel leader line in a little bitty child clicked Zebco reel. Now, there's a lot of parables in that, and I'm not going to explain that to you today. I do dream interpretation a lot on Wednesday nights. If that fascinates you and you want to learn about it, come on. A third of the Bible comes through dreams and visions. Why shouldn't we teach it? If an outpouring of the Spirit is dreams and visions, sons and daughters prophesying, then we should do it and teach it. Yeah. Is anybody with me? Is anybody fired up today? Come on. You don't hear this kind of talk in church. These are illegal conversations in so many churches. Don't take it for granted. I'm just telling you right now. Thanks, man. Yeah. That's what I need, some synergy action in this place. I love it. And so you have to understand that God, want, God speaks in parable, parables. And, and the actual deeper understanding of parable is two words, para, which means to come alongside, and bala, which means to throw. And so what you're doing is you're speaking in parables and you're throwing alongside a spiritual truth at all times to help people that don't know the Lord go, aha. That's why I encourage you guys. If you're, if you're finding yourself, like, lacking passion and excitement in your time with the Lord, go for a walk on the beach early in the morning with your cup of coffee. Go get some good worship music and sit by the park on Ocean Drive. Go get outside. Go for a hike. Go for a walk. Go, go to the hill country for a retreat. Go and experience the Lord in the wonder and the beauty of who he is underneath the stars in his sanctuary. And it doesn't mean you don't get into your room. It doesn't mean you don't go into the inner court of your secret place in your house. You do that, too. But my favorite place to experience the Lord is in the wonder of his creation. Because I'm, I'm always blown away. I sit by the water, and the Lord says, I planted you by the rivers of living water. And fish are jumping, and birds are flying. And I mean, I'm kind of a little bit ADD sometimes. So when I'm seeing ospreys and seagulls and fish jumping and all this stuff and water and clouds and sunrises, I'm like, man, Lord, you're so incredible, and it's fascinating for me. And God speaks to me in the midst of his creation because I understand that the hidden mysteries of God, the invisible attributes of who he is, are, are seen by what he's made. Anyway, little side note for you there this morning. So the Jesus would speak in parables to help people understand. He would speak in parables in a way that would, would force people to have to want to know the truth. That would force people to say, aha, I want that. That's the purpose. And once you say, I want that, then he speaks to you clearly. And so we see in Mark 4.1.1 that God reveals the mysteries of the kingdom of God to his sons and his daughters, which means there are hidden mysteries from the foundation of the world that he wants to reveal to you every day. Think about it. The God of all creation wants to reveal himself to you, how he did things, who he is, his love, his character, his nature. And there's stuff I'm fascinated by all the time. I'm like, God, what were you thinking? As I say this all the time, why did you have to make mosquitoes? Cockroaches. Cucarachas, that's right. But then I look at the sky and the wonders of the heavens, and I look at, at tropical reefs and, rain, and the rainforests and tropical fish, and I'm just blown away by the beauty of what he's created and what he's done, and I can see God now in everything. 
I see him everywhere. I see him in you. I see him in all of creation. I'm, it's like another dimensional understanding that only comes from finding the hidden secrets and mysteries of the kingdom of God. Mystery in the Greek is musterion, and it means hidden and secret. So to get a mystery means you have to go to the secret place to get it. Now I'll speak some things that I get from the secret place. All things hidden will be revealed. And you go, oh my gosh, that's awesome. But if you want to live there, if you want to sustain it, and you want to know him like never before, it is going to require you to go spend time with him and get into the secret place. You cannot live a busy Christian life or try to live on my coattails of church a couple times a week, reading everybody else's book and listening to everybody else's sermons. You got to get your message and you got to go get it for yourself. You got to get your own daily bread and you got to grow personally, okay? And when you do that, it reveals things to you like this message I'm preaching today on women. Nobody's ever told me what I'm about to tell you. I've never heard it taught before. So here we go. One of the greatest mysteries I believe that God's revealing in these last days is the power and the purpose of women in these end times. I believe that God has a great plan for women. And again, I believe the devil has worked on overtime to keep all women suppressed and oppressed and to see yourselves as lesser than instead of entire cultures, nations, suppressed women right now all around the world, okay? And we still have a prevalent, dominant church in America that's doing the same thing, but not Rock City and not you and not in Corpus Christi, amen? Now, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good because you don't hear a lot of men preaching about women. Now, men, just hear this because this is for you too because when you get this understanding that I'm going to tell you, it, it's a game changer for everything. So no matter how my wife acts, no matter how she treats me, no matter what she says or does, I have a, a love for her like Christ had for me in laying down his life, and I can see the wonder and the beauty of who she's called to be, and much of that is going to depend on how I treat her and how I love her and how I lay my life down for her, Okay. And it's a, trust me, it's a big working process. <laughs> you notice I'm eating a lot of humble pie today. I've, I, I've been thinking about this message for a long, long time, let me just tell you. I'm going to give you a quick short list of feminine understanding from the Bible, of some feminine biblical understanding, the feminine side of God's heart. First, I want you to know, and I'm not going to break all these scriptures down for the sake of time and teaching, but the church is called the bride and Jesus is called the bridegroom. So the church is the bride. That is a feminine term, okay? The church is also personified as a woman in Revelations 12, all right? Revelations 12, the church is personified as a woman and fulfills the understanding. If you really want to understand what happened in Galatians 3, or I'm sorry, uh, Genesis 3, when the, when the fall of man came and God cursed the serpent and he cursed the earth and then he said that he will bring a seed from a woman and that seed will create enmity. The seed is Jesus and that Jesus would create hatred between the woman and Satan. The woman that gave birth to the seed is personified as the church and you can read that in Revelations 12. It's a, it's a mystery it's a deep biblical understanding. I don't want to overwhelm you on a Sunday morning. But I've studied it out, and it's incredible, okay? I'm just telling you, if you want to know more, I would encourage you to read Revelations 12 and, and how the woman was actually a fulfillment of a dream that Joseph had, okay, that Joseph had. So you guys can go read that out, and there's great connection there. There's great connection there through the seed of Joseph to the Gentile nation and how God has raised us up to produce sons and daughters all over the world. Okay. So, the other thing that it's important for you guys to know is that God created man and woman together in his image and likeness, and in turn, he gave a prophetic promise to both. So, I love to talk about the five promises from Genesis, God's original intent. I love that. Five things. I keep telling to you and keep telling to you. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, or fill the earth or reign and have dominion. Subdue, reign, and have dominion. Five things that God has called everybody to do that was part of his original intent. And when God gave the promise, he created man and woman together in his image and likeness, and he spoke that promise. I want to recap it. Genesis 1, 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them in his image, in his likeness. So in the, in the heart of God, is the feminine and male attributes of a man and a woman, okay? Then God blessed them, and God said to them. You have to catch the them part. 
okay? Because it's not just a man thing. It was to both of them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Over all creation except for each other. I want you to notice that in this promise, there's no have dominion over each other or over a man. Hence, wars and fighting and all the things that have happened as a result from the fall. Now, one of the other things that happened in Genesis chapter 3, and we're not going to go through it today. I've taught on it before. But one of the other things that came from Genesis chapter 3 as a result of the fall was that a woman and a man would now be fighting to have dominion over each other. It is a result of the curse. And it actually says the woman will fight to have dominion over the man, but we know that that means each other will try to fight to have dominion. Man will try to suppress the woman, and the woman will try to have dominant control over the man. It was a result of the garden, a result of the curse. I'm not going to go into it in detail. I'm telling you it's there, and I have taught on it. But Jesus reversed the curse. Yeah! Yeah. Jesus reversed the curse. And that curse is reversed now. But I want to show you how that curse gets reversed, and I want to show you how God does it in a woman's life. Paul made a clear point that there's no distinction in spiritual ability, power, and leadership for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you need to understand, if anybody's in Christ Jesus, there is no second-class citizen. And it's not based on social status, wealth, looks, money, or your gender of a man or a woman. I should get you guys fired up, okay? I'll just show it to you real quick. Galatians 3.26 says you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you were baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus, and if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, what I'd like you to do is I want you to just file in the back of your mind heirs according to the promise because I'm going to come back to that in a couple moments. Heirs according to to the promise. I want you to just think about that for a moment. There's so much more on our purpose as Jesus' bride, the need for a woman in our lives, the purpose of marriage. There are so many topics that I can talk about related to marriage and the bride of Christ that would, I mean, they're incredibly wonderful and awesome topics, but I'm not going to go through that today. But I do want to say a few things that I see when I see my wife, when I see my mom, and when I see all women on the face of the earth. I just came up with a few descriptors. I thought I'd throw them out for Mother's Day. (laughs) When I see a woman, and especially my own wife, I see God's grandiose plan for his kingdom. I see purpose, destiny, and fulfillment of promises from God and for his kingdom. Here's some words to describe what I see in a woman. Sons and daughters, reproduction, aids, surrounders, protectors, stability, strength, empowerment to accomplish purpose, wisdom, love, tenderness, grace, beauty, compassion, awakening, and promise. And that's what I see in my wife. And I know that to be true because I know I wouldn't be who I am today and where I am had God not brought her into my life. And had I not had my mom and had I not had intercessors and women that have prayed for me and encouraged me tenderly, full of wisdom and grace in my life as a Christian, God always brought wonderful women around my life, mamas, spiritual mamas, to pray for me and intercede and to to war in the heavens on my behalf and to bring comfort and stability and strength. Had I not had that, I wouldn't be who I am today. Women have always been an incredible source of strength and stability. Last year, I talked about a whole variety. I'm just going to tell you a few names to remind you, and I want you to know that I've taken some time to study these women's lives. And I'm going to throw out some great names of, of just a quick recap of women in the Bible. Some of you won't know some of their names, but they're there. Deborah, Yael, Ruth, Naomi, Esther, Rachel, Rebecca, Abigail, Rahab, Leah, the Queen of Sheba, Mary, Martha, Elizabeth, Anna, the prophetess, Priscilla, the woman that delivered Paul's letter to the Roman church, Phoebe. I love that. It means rays of light. I talked about that last year. 
These are just some of the women in ministry that God has used, and I'm telling you that God intends to use women more than ever before in these last days. How many of you have ever personified something? Personified, to personify something is to give something a name and make it personal. Now, come on, men. We've all named our car a she at one time. This is my baby, my girl, right? And I don't know if men name or if women name their cars guy names. Do you do that? You don't do that? But men do stuff like that. We give our truck, you know, I used to call my 1979 El Camino Betsy. I loved that El Camino. I wish I had it today. But to personify something, it means that you are uh, saying that that thing represents or embodies a quality or a concept of something you like or believe in in a physical form. And so God would personify women in many ways. First is the church is, des- is defined as a woman. But there's something else that always captivates me in the Bible about the personification of women in a biblical way that's so wonderful. And it's the personification of a woman as wisdom. And it's all over the Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 4, and 8 talks about how she cries out in the streets and she instructs and she's tender and she's better than rubies and gold. And if you listen to her and she and her and the woman, wisdom is personified in the Bible as a woman. You can't get away from it. In fact, it's everywhere. And I, again, I could spend a five-part series just in talking about Proverbs and wisdom and women in that context. You think the Lord is trying to show us something? I'm glad you all didn't hear that. She said a woman's always right. My wife thinks that's the case, but that is not always the case. All right. But that was funny, by the way. Now, you know I have to walk very tenderly with this message, right? (laughs) Do you know that women would be critical to Jesus' ministry and serve him in a way that no one else would? In fact, we have a little bank of scriptures that talk about Jesus being provided for and tended to by women that you don't see anywhere else in the Bible. And I believe it's a representation of how we, as the bride of Christ, are to tend to him. I once preached a message here titled, Taking Care of Jesus. It's an odd title because we often think that Jesus takes care of us. But Jesus says, as much as you do to the least of these, you do to me. So when you provide water or food and sustenance, he said, take care of my sheep, take care of my lambs. And as much as you do to other people, you're doing to him. So if I treat other people right and if I don't look down on anybody and even the least of the least the way Jesus did, then actually I'm taking care of him. And I love that the only time we really read about Jesus being provided for, intended to, and ministered to is in the context of women, and I don't think it was by chance. Let me show it to you. It's Luke chapter 8, and it says, Now it came to pass, chapter 8, verse 1, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. So he had his twelve disciples. But verse 2 says that there were certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of, whom he had, out of whom had come seven demons. Now, why in the world do we have to front out Mary that she had seven demons at one time? I mean, I'm thinking to myself, here's some women. They're traveling. They're serving him. But we had to put in the Bible that she had been delivered of seven demons. It's there. Because the Lord showed me, number one, she was perfectly restored and perfectly healed. Seven is the number of God's perfection. And I believe that God com- brought complete perfection. In her healing, I believe that Mary is a picture also of the church and what happens when God does something in you and then he does it through you. There's a great lesson here. She got delivered and now she's doing what she's called to do. So she was delivered of seven demons and Joanna or Joanna or Zanetta in the Bible, the wife of Chizid, which that's a whole incredible story of it in and of itself, Herod's steward. And Susanna and many others who provided for him in their substance. The word provide is also the word ministered. It's the word where we get the word deacon, and it means that they waited, they served, they provided, they tended to, just like the disciples. And, and God had, Jesus had a group of women that surrounded him 
and served him and supported him. And I believe that's a picture of the church today. And I'm going to take it even a little bit further for you. I want to go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. But first, how are you guys doing? You guys all right? Are you, tra- are you like this? Is this all right? I, you know, men, I, I hope you like it. But women, I really want to get you jazzed up today. That's what I really want to do. Now we're going to have some real fun because I'm going to talk about a person I've never taught on and haven't heard many messages on. I would guess that there's some women ministries out there that have taught on this person. I'm really excited about this. So we're going to go back to Galatians 3.29. If you pull it back up on the screen, if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's a hidden mystery here. There's something not said. There's something or someone critically missing Because you can't just have a seed that was supposed to come from a woman just come from a man. If the promise would come through a woman from Genesis, then something is missing here. But there is something that's included, heirs according to a promise. And that person that received the promise that we are, that women you are daughters of and we're all legacies of is Sarah. Oh, I haven't heard many messages on Sarah. In fact, I don't know that I've ever heard one. I'm sure they're out there. I'm not the only one. But Sarah is fascinating to me. And many of you have maybe never read, read about Sarah, who at first her name was Sarai. She had a name change. And anytime God changed someone's name in the Bible, the purpose was to understand not only was he changing their name, but the new name would represent the new nature. So when, God, when you're born again, God changes your nature. You, be, you metamorph into something new. You become a new creation in Christ. Okay? But, and so we're not all going around saying, well, you are Ryan, and you shall be called jo- Joseph. It would just be kind of odd, okay? But the point is, is that God did that, and he did it for many reasons to demonstrate by example that there was a nature change. Now, what does he do today? It says, You were Betty, but now you're my daughter. So when you get born again, you're still Betty, but now you're the daughter of the king. So he's changed your nature in a beautiful and profound way, even though you still have the same name. I want to tell you a couple things about Sarah before we really get to understanding the promise. First of all, you need to understand that Sarah's first name was Sarai and that she was barren. I believe that Sarah is a picture of the church that was barren, that produced a child, that produced a son, That's a picture of the church today. So you need to know first that she was barren and could not have children. Some of you may have not been able to have children, or you've been barren, or you've had miscarriages, but God still has a promise for you, and I'm going to show you, because when the promise came to Sarah, when her name was changed and God spoke a promise to her, she was still barren, okay? So the word comes, and the promise comes like a seed into you, and the seed germinates to produce a seed. And the devil's still on the attack to keep us back from raising up sons and daughters, isn't he? The devil still hates the woman, still hates the bride. The the devil's still on the attack to deceive us day and night because he doesn't want us to reproduce Christians, many Christ-like sons and daughters on the earth. So let me help you understand. In fact, if you do a lot of research about Sarai and Sarah, it says, well, I, I read a lot of commentary on this. and says, well, both names meant princess i said no it can't be there it wouldn't read right it wouldn't make sense there's got to be more to this and so as i did some more research i discovered that the word sarai actually means dominative or head person dominative or head person the root word of this is sar and it means captain master or ruler and it's related to the word sarar which means to exercise dominion and make yourself ruler. This is a result of the curse, and God would show through Sarai to Sarah what the old nature looked like from the fall and what the new nature will look like through Jesus Christ. Hence, we had issues in Ephesus. Hence, we had issues in Corinthians. And hence, we still have a result of the curse of women trying to dominate over men and vice versa. It goes both ways. The point is, is in Christ, we're equal. God does make the man 
the head and women are to be submissive to husbands. But if you study out the word submissive and what it means in the Greek, it actually means a foundational source of strength and stability as they love Christ. They become that for their husbands. And instead of rejecting them, they're to love them the way that they love the Lord. And in turn, you can actually win unbelieving husbands to Christ. I'll show it to you in the Bible here in a moment. Oh, Sarai, she had a, she had a nasty old nature. Listen, she was jealous. She was impatient. She couldn't, she couldn't wait for a son. She was, when she was late in her years, she was deceptive, and she was like, look, I'm going to have my maidservant have the promise, and hence Hagar comes along and births Ishmael. And then she gets upset at, Ish, at Hagar because Hagar gives her a funny look or something, looks at her funny, has haughty eyes or something. And then she tells Abraham, cast her out to the wilderness, and they kick her to the curb. And she comes back, and then she has the son, and then she's upset because Ishmael wasn't supposed to be the, the legitimate promise from God. And so she ban- she's like, I don't want it. You know, Sarah had a lot of issues. When God came along and spoke the promise, she laughed in her tent, and then she lied to God's face about it. It's funny, but I'm telling you these things so you can understand how God changes nature and what God's purpose and plan is in the context of men and women and what he really wanted to do. So you've got to see how he changed the name. Let me show you the promise, Genesis 17. Then God, after God spoke the promise, the covenant promise to Abraham, he said, then God said to him, as for Sarah, your wife, you're not going to call her Sarah anymore, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and I will also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother, be a mother of nations, and kings of peoples shall be from her. Now just look at that for a moment, because I'm going to show you how all women are daughters of Sarah. And I believe she is a picture of the changed nature of the church from being dormant and barren to being life givers. I'll show it to you. Sarah means first lady, princess, and queen. First lady, princess, and queen. So Sarah would go from a dominative, controlling, jealous, mocking woman to becoming a first lady. And do you know there's a first lady today? It's called the bride of Christ. The first lady is the bride of Christ. And, of course, we have first ladies in our life. My wife is my first lady in my life. We're the first lady of Christ. And Sarah would go from one nature to a new nature. That would be supernatural and incredible. It's a picture of true transformation when you become born again. Let me just touch briefly on 1 Peter chapter 3 because I think it's important for you to see in greater context what I'm talking about, especially women, if you have a husband that is an unbeliever or a husband that doesn't want to live for the Lord, and I'm sorry if husbands don't want to come here. I, I want men to like me, but not every man likes me. I don't know if it's my long hair, the worship's too long, whatever it is. Churches in general have mostly always been full of women, but we have a lot of awesome men here, and we're on a, we're on a mission to change that. But I think it's important because when we see about the promise to Sarah, uh, Jesus compared this directly to women having unbelieving husbands. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, and even in, if some do not obey the word. So if you have a husband that doesn't obey the word, the Lord is still saying to be submissive to them. Now, submissive looks like something, and it doesn't look like something. Being abused is not being submitted. That is not okay, all right? And there are many other things that doesn't mean it's okay. You need to understand what submission looks like. Submission is first, you're going to submit to them the way you're submitted to the Lord. If you're trying to submit to your husband without submission to the Lord, you can't do it. Hence, you have the fear of God inside of you and you're Christ-like, and that takes on a whole new persona when it comes to submission. And now, you're not this sheepish little beat-me-up, lowly, don't-believe-in-yourself woman, but instead, you're a powerhouse understanding that God created woman to be a helpmate, and helpmate means surrounder, aid, protector, and stability. The word submit in the Greek is the word hypostasis, and it means a substance or a firm foundation. Faith is the substance. Faith is the hypostasis. It's the same word used for submit when it says, wives, submit to your husband. Pow! 
Now, I just said a lot of powerful stuff that maybe you haven't heard before. <coughs> but you got to understand what this means. It says, even if they don't obey the words, that without a word, you may be able to win them by the conduct of, that they may be won by the conduct of their wives. Why? So you actually could not, you don't have to be ultra-religious, Christianese, Bible, Bible, Bible everywhere, sticking bread and handkerchiefs under their mattress, all this stuff I've seen before, like, I mean, women go, go out of control to try to get their husbands saved, and there's a, there is a way that God says it can be done in the Bible. Of course, you pray, but you've got to love well, because look, verse 2 says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, it's the fear of the Lord, and it's a reverent fear first from God, and it's the way that you conduct yourself, verse 3, it's not an outward appearance that does it. It's not looking hotter, looking better, though, Guys, we like our wives to look good and hot. I mean, we like that. But it's way more than that. It's not about your hairdo, about what you wear, how you look. And the Lord's making that clear that it's about incorruptible inner beauty. That's why I can look at somebody that's overweight, older, younger, no matter who you are, what race you are. I see all of you as beautiful. And I can have heavy set girls come up and their whole life they've been looked down upon or bullied and feel like they're not attractive and not good enough. And as a, as a representation of the Father, look to them and say, God sees you as beautiful because what's inside of you is incredible. And they bawl their eyes out. Because it really is about what's on the inside and what's on the inside causes you to manifest something beautiful on the outside. You can't just try to go outside in. You got to go inside out. Man, I could just stop right there, but I'm not going to. <laughs> That's all right. I'm going to eat every minute of my time today because it's Mother's Day and women like what I'm saying. I hope so. I hope, I hope that these women right here do. Guys, I'm going to show you something pretty cool. So it says, uh, <laughs> arranging, merely outward arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be, verse 4, the hidden person of the heart. Everybody say hidden person of the heart. You know, the hidden person of the heart is only created and built through Jesus Christ and being born again in the hidden secret place. If there's a hidden person of the heart. And so, women, that's what the Lord's telling you. It says, with incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle and quiet is a lot different than controlling and dominative. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're not powerful. It doesn't mean you don't have a voice. It doesn't mean you're not as equally created in Christ. And it doesn't mean, you know, actual helpmate doesn't mean somebody that comes alongside. I just want a partner in life to walk through life with me. No, if you actually set it out, it means I stand face to face with you. We, I stand face-to-face -face with you and with my wife. I have to stand face-to-face -face with her. Now, I'm the, the lead point person for our family. I'm the point man, okay? But m there are many times that she gets a word from the Lord that is crystal clear that I didn't get, that she got first, and I needed to listen to her because she is a virtuous woman, and women are called to be virtuous. If you study out Proverbs 31 and what it means for wisdom to be personified as a woman— Men, you better pay attention and listen up. All right. This is going to be recorded and is being put online for all the world to hear. So I'm all right with that. So it says, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women, verse 5, who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. This is how the women, all the great women of the Bible were right here. And, of course, it leads us to Sarah, verse 6. We're talking about Sarah. And Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, not Lord as in like capital L, but Lord as in understanding that God had put, her as, put him as the head over her life. She understood submission. She obeyed. In the right way, those are big, dangerous words that are misunderstood in the church today. Please understand my heart, okay? Whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Let me help you understand that. Your daughters of Sarah, who was honorable to receive the promise, and she did what was right, and she didn't give way to fear. What does it mean to give way to fear or terror? 
it means, women, that if you have an unbelieving husband that doesn't believe, see, Abraham even laughed at the promise of God too. It means that you're not doing it with fear of their control and their manipulation. You're doing it with the fear of the Lord because you love him and he told you to do it. You don't stay. If you have an abusive husband, we got to get it fixed. We got to work it through. We got to get you healthy. We got to do it right. We got to we got to hopefully get that man transformed, and that may require a time of separation and sometimes leads to divorce because abuse is not okay. That's not the fear God's talking about. He's talking about uh, having the fear of the Lord and not fear of terror from your husband. You do it because you love and you trust God. I hope that helps. I've never taught on that before, but there you go, okay? So, All women are the daughters of Sarah if they do what is right and don't give way to fear, terror, alarm, and amazement. The Sarai nature must be converted to the Sarah nature. Sarai would be controlling and have all kinds of issues, but Sarah would, be, would believe in the promise and be accredited to having faith. Look at this scripture, Romans 9, 9, for this is the word of the promise that we've been reading about. At this time I will come to Sarah and she will have a son. So when God gave the promise, she was barren. But how many of you ever see 11-11 on the clock or 11-11? If you see 11-11, let me tell you one of the things I believe that God's saying about 11-11, and I believe it's Hebrews 11-11. And Hebrews 11-11 says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. I believe it's a prophetic word that we as the church are to conceive seed like she did, and she did it by faith. Faith must be first, and when you believe, you can conceive. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So what I want to say to any women here, if you have been barren or you have not been able to have a child or you've had miscarriages or you lost a child prematurely, the promise still stands. Have faith and believe for God to conceive that you're not too old. Sarah was 90, okay, and she laughed and thought, there's no way. I want to tell you just a little bit of a journey in my own life. 333 was a very important number to me, mainly because I would wake up at night at 333 all the time. When I was in Tulsa, before I came to Corpus Christi, I said, Lord, what's going on? And he took me to Jeremiah 33.3, said, this is my telephone number. Jeremiah 33.3 says that we can call out and cry out to God like making a phone call to him, call him up and he'll answer you from heaven and he'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know. And I had this entire season of 333 where God, and he's been doing it again to me all the time now, okay? And as I cried out to God, the Lord showed me things I didn't know and what it, one of the things he showed me is I'm going to Corpus Christi. So 333 was partly responsible to lead me to Corpus Christi. And when I got to Corpus Christi, for the first six years of uh, being here, I didn't see 333 ever, I never saw it on my phone. It never stood out to me. I was never awakened at that time. But something happened while I was here. The second greatest thing to ever happen in my life, my wife. And Corpus was hard. I didn't understand it. It was very obscure. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be here. I was under God's thumb. I was kicking and fighting. It was very difficult. And in the midst of that, in the midst of obscurity, I met my wife. So 333 led me here and to meet her. Our second child's son, our second child, our son, is named Zion. When Amber, uh, when my wife was looking for baby names and she came up with the name Zion, she said, I really think our son's name is to be named Zion. I said, I don't think so. I said, I think Zion, and we were going to, his middle name, David, and like, it's such a Jewish name. It's like, and in these last days, it's so dominant, you know, mountain of strength, Zion. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not really feeling it yet. She said, well, I'll give you some time to think about it. So about maybe a day went by, and then the next day, no, it was a couple of weeks, but a couple of weeks goes by. She goes, I know we're supposed to name his name Zion. I said, I, well, I haven't heard from the Lord. She says, well, you will, because the Lord has told me that's his name. So I said, I said Lord, what's going on with the Zion thing? I, you know, I said, and of course, now it fits. It's a no-brainer. It's a funny story now, but I was sitting at the light at Ennis Jocelyn in SPID, on my way to church, and the Lord said, you're not getting it, son. I said, you're right, Lord, I'm not getting it. He goes, I said, show me. If, show me if Zion's the name. Show me how. He goes, can't you see your bride is longing for Zion like my bride should be longing for Mount Zion? 
And I said, I went, click, I got it. Because my family is a legacy and an heritage for the end time promise. So is your children. This is for all of us, by the way. This is my journey to discover it for myself. And so I, I got it. And I said, the Lord spoke to me. She's like, I knew he would. She knew already that his name was supposed to be Zion. And so when we were looking for a house to move into, uh, we had outgrown our little tiny 1,100-square-foot house with, with a family of four, and we knew we needed to move. We were overcrowded. It was an older house with small closets, and, man, it was just crazy. And we needed to, to, to move to a different house. We went through a great dif- tri- uh, difficult trial to find a house, and it took months, and there were delays and all these problems, and we were frustrated, and God kept saying, I've got a promise don't complain. Don't get frustrated. I'm going to lead you to the right house. I, and we got irritated. We moved into a little tiny apartment because we sold the other house. It was a difficult time. And Amber looked and looked and looked and looked. And, and the houses we want, we couldn't afford. And then she, you know, finally it's like, I've looked at every house in town. It was a long process. We had prophetic words, all these things. I said, well, let me look on the phone. Let me look on Realtor.com. So I open up Realtor.com, and I'm just browsing through some homes, and a number jumps out to me. I see 333. Now, it was actually 1333, but it was the 333 that caught my attention. And I said, oh, my gosh. I said, look at this house. And I opened it up, and, and Amber's like, oh, my gosh, it's incredible. And we didn't even realize from the pictures we had been to this house before. We didn't even realize it. So Ryan is our realtor, and he's a great realtor. And I, uh, we, we call up Ryan, and we say, Ryan, what's the deal with this house? And he says, that's my listing. Now, it hadn't been on the market because it had had an offer on it that fell through at the last minute. And here this house pops back up, and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is it. And it turns out out to be the house. So I call up Brad McClendon, and I say, Brad, let me tell you this story. 333, I mean, 333, this is incredible, 1333. He goes, well, you know what 1333 is, don't you? I said, no. He goes, well, Psalm 133. Verse 3 says... The Lord will command, as the dew comes down from Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in Israel, onto Zion. That's what the promises of God are. Just like when people dwell together in unity, when brethren dwell together in unity, this is what it's like, the oil coming down Aaron's beard, and that it's coming down on Mount Zion, where the Lord commanded life forevermore, and I got it. My wife, Zion, unity, life forevermore, and it all clicked that I'm right where God wants me to be, and I'm right, I'm doing exactly what he wants me to do. And it was an incredible journey for me of discovery, and I want to take you back to a parable to conclude. This is a parable that God showed me shortly after I moved in, and I've never told it here because I've been waiting for today. I'm excited for this parable because I believe this is an incredible picture for Mother's Day and the purpose of women. And it's an entire parable that's one scripture long. And it's Matthew 13, 33. Jesus spoke this parable of hidden mystery and said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Oh, there's so much in this one verse. I've, thought, I've read it a thousand times and I've meditated on it. Most of the time in the Bible, leaven is, has a negative connotation. And some of you may not know what leaven is. Leaven is actually yeast and it's important that you first understand that the kingdom of heaven is now and god wants the kingdom of heaven on earth but leaven a substance typically yeast is added to dough to make it ferment and rise Uh, it's a pervasive influence that modifies something or transforms it for the better leaven in the greek is the word zume and it means to ferment as if boiling up It comes from the word zeo in the Greek, and it means to be fiery hot and to glow. It causes a reaction. It means to be fervid and to be um, uh, reverent. 
It means to cause something to explode and boil up and rise up, and that's what yeast does when it's heated. There's a lot of incredible attributes to yeast. First of all, yeast is a fungi that is a slow, secret, silent reproducer. One little tiny yeast can cause an entire, when worked into a, a bread, fresh bread, can cause it all to rise. And yeast is in the smallest amount is great at reproducing. Sounds like just a little bit of faith, doesn't it? Okay. Now keep the scripture up on the screen. I'm just going to break it down. Yeast, what it does, it's a single cell organism that, when it, that expands. And what it does is when, it heat, when it's heated, it eats and digests sugar. Heat causes it to get active. Okay? And what it does is then it goes to town. It gets hungry. Yeast also reproduces asexually, by the way. Fun little fact. You can study it out on your own. What it does is it eats and digests sugar, and then what it does is it produces carbon dioxide gas that causes bread to expand. Yeast has to be living in order to do its job, in order to ferment, but to fully accomplish its purpose, it has to die. Hence, replenishing and being used over and over and over daily bread every day, we are we eat and we give. We're the body of Christ, the broken bread given to the people. Man, the mysteries inside this scripture are so deep and long and wide. I'm sure I don't have it all figured out, but I'm on to something. In order for the yeast to really get into the three measures of meal, it has to be hidden and it has to be kneaded. Like a woman baking bread, like us going after the hidden mysteries of God in the secret place, in concealing and incorporating inside and expands, and it's like a woman depositing seed that expands all over the world. Woo! Yeah! Measure, the word measure actually means dry grain. So here comes the Holy Ghost, and here it's, it's, a, sim, it's, a, it's a similitude of a woman. It's a parable that the kingdom expands like a woman depositing seed, yeast, that expands into dry grain that needed to rise up and produce life. And then I've often taught you have to die to fly. So it's a constant, I, I, I come alive and I die and I come alive even greater. I'm laying my life down. He cuts me, he makes me, he creates me, he sends me, and it's this constant process like yeast. I know some of this may be going over some of your heads, but, but study it out. This is incredible revelation, I believe. What does three mean? The word three means to conform, obey, copy, imitate, and become like the Trinity, like Jesus and who he is. And so a woman needing the promises of God into people recreates, reproduces people that look like and conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what my wife is doing for me. It's hard. It's tough. We've only been married four and a half years. It'll be five years this year. But she doesn't even fully realize what she's doing. And, it's, and I fight back times, not yelling, screaming, cussing, and, and abusive. But iron sharpens iron, and we're learning, and we're growing. And, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years, we have young kids. It's tough, poopy diapers, and... We battle sicknesses and all of those things, but I love her and I'm committed and I understand what God has, has destined for me in my life and what God has destined for every woman in this place because it's not just for her. And what I hope you can see is a man that understands and what I hope we can do is get men to understand the power of the bride and the power of a woman and the purpose and the plan that God has for you in these last days. And then ultimately it comes to being all leavened The whole earth will know the glory and the beauty of God all over the world. In Genesis chapter 18, I'll leave you with this. Something incredible happens. Moses, or, uh, Abraham and Sarah are sitting in their tent by a terebinth tree. And in Genesis 18, the Lord and two angels show up. And Abraham says, I'll just summarize it for you because of time. Abraham says, let us wash your feet 
give you some rest, and let us make, give you a drink, refresh you, and give you some food. Abraham and Sarah would do that for, for, for the Lord. And Abraham looks to Sarah and says, prepare a meal. And Sarah takes yeast and leaven and bakes three measures of meal for the Lord. You think there's a mystery somewhere here? I said a lot of stuff. Gosh, how do you connect all that? But my hope today is something switched inside of you. And instead of laughing at the promises of God like Sarah did, this is what I'll leave you with, Proverbs 31, 25. Strength and honor, talking about a virtuous woman, strength and honor are her clothing. And she will rejoice or laugh in the things to come, but not with sarcasm, but because it's going to be so awesome. And what your future holds, every woman here today, every mama, our daughters, the bride, is a supernatural promise that came to Sarah that passed down to us and you will bake three measures of meal and conform and reproduce sons and daughters and awaken men to be everything that they're called to be. If you have issues with men, you got to understand that God has equally created both. You got to forgive. You got to move forward. If you've been disheartened and struggling and frustrated, God in the midst of it can rescue you out of it and set you free. If you're single, God has the right man for you. I just want to tell you, Deborah, you say, well, God doesn't raise up women. He did to Deborah. Deborah was a judge in Israel. And I'll, I'll, I love this point, and then we're going to pray. Nathan, come on up, or one of my musicians, and I'll leave you with, oh. <laughs> Pow. I will I'll let you go get your kids here in a moment, and I'm going to pray for all of you corporately, and you guys will go home. <clears throat> we are the bride of Christ that reproduces the seed of Jesus Christ, and the devil is making war to hold us back, just like he did against Sarai and Sarah. But Sarah got a new nature, and she believed God and conceived by faith. And the virtuous woman, the church, women, have a promise to be fulfilled. I believe this is about the bride now. And God's using a natural picture of marriage, which is why there's such an attack on marriage today. I'm telling you, this whole marriage thing, gay marriage thing, all the transgender stuff is a direct assault on, really on women. Because the devil knows his time is short, so he's launching. And God says, this is your time. And this is your time. And this is your time. This is your time, too. Of course. My mom, you can't get left out, Mom. You're, you can't get left out. Women, this is your time. And men, you got to get new eyesight. Jesus gave it all for a bride, didn't he? And it's the bride that would take the helm and the responsibility. This is your time, women. This is your time. No more compromise, no more unbelief, no more dominating control. You don't have to fight for control anymore. Just trust the Lord and believe. You know, Deborah, Deborah had a husband. She was one of the greatest women in the Bible. Did you know she had a husband? Oh, well, you only know one thing, and some of you only know because I told you. Most people don't read about Deborah's husband. Because you only know one thing about him, and that's his name. Deborah's husband's name is the name Lapidoth. It's a weird name. Let's just admit it. But there were a lot of weird names in the Bible. And if you look at the name Lapidoth, you know what it means? It means man of fire. Of course it did. Now, you can study that one out. I've, I've studied that one out a thousand times. And this is your time women to believe for the right man all of the single ladies here and men I'm going to make it very clear 
no one's dating any women here, and if I come along, you better be on fire. I'm just telling you right now, this isn't the hookup place, and there's a lot of attractive young girls coming here, and I'm, I'm not anti-dating, by the way. I just want you to know. But I'm for right dating, and what I want, what every woman here under my watch deserves is a man on fire. And what every man deserves is a non-controlling, non-dominative woman, too. We work together face-to-face as a team. We're in the fight together. So men get on fire. Women become Deborah's. Do it now. Don't wait. You can do it now. The Lord is your number one. He's the real man of fire. Jesus is the greatest man of fire. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.